gone through uh, the first chapter and a half in seven weeks. Um, we're going to take a little bit more of a chunk today. I know what time it is, um, so don't even, I mean, you're good. I love you guys, all right? Look, we got people leaving. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I hadn't even started preaching yet. Um, no, but uh, I know what time it is. I do want to be respectful of your time. I've already told Justin back there uh, that, that I understand today. Um, when you preach through books of the Bible, um, not every verse is, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we're like, yeah, yes. Not every verse is, for God so loved the world that he gave. And we're like, yes, he did. He loves me. He loves you. You know, sometimes, even as we walk through the Gospels, and the Gospels are more of that way than other passages and texts, but many times, even when we walk through the Gospels, we come across a, a text that we're like, you know, if Josh wasn't committed to preaching through the Bible, he probably wouldn't preach this text. If you've been in our church for three and a half years since we started, there have been several Sunday mornings where if you are listening, you're probably going, I hope you're going, man, I feel kind of bad for Josh this morning. Like, he's got to preach on that because that's the next text because we're preaching, we're going to be, but man, that was tough on a Sunday morning. And our church, the way we're structured right now, you know, we don't necessarily have those other opportunities. Well, today's text is a little bit that way. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 2, and we are in verses 18 uh, down through verse 28, uh, which is the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read all of this this morning. Um, it is in your Bible. It's actually on the screen a little bit. I'm not going to read all of this as, as our introduction this morning. We're going to kind of see... And read as we go through our text this morning and our sermon, we'll read our scripture. But you remember where we were, where we left off last week. Last week we left off with Jesus eating with sinners. We left off last Sunday with Jesus not just calling Matthew, the IRS agent, to come and follow him. But Jesus taking that next step saying, okay, no, I'm going to also come and sit at your table. I'm going to sit with you. And what, what that showed was Jesus was not just willing to lead, but he was willing to identify with and be identified with sinners. And, and our scripture told us last week that, that there were people sitting there that were uh, sinners and tax collectors. If you can imagine back in that day when they would uh, take your taxes from you in person. Y'all think it's bad just seeing your paycheck? You ever, you ever see the difference between your gross pay and your take-home pay? I see y'all, we're about to have a revival. All right, uh, your gross pay and your take-home pay. You know, imagine like having to physically walk up and like take that money out and give that money to someone. It makes you a little angry. It does me just talking about it. I'm getting angry actually. But that's who Jesus ate with and sat with. And the stars of the show so far in the first two chapters of Mark seem to be the Pharisees. And the Pharisees show up yet again. And this time the Pharisees don't question Jesus. They question his disciples. And Jesus rebukes them. And we finished last week with those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And the truth is things were about to get real for Jesus and for his followers. They were doing things that no one else had done. They were 
experiencing things no one else had experienced. They were ministering to people that no one else was willing to minister to. And following Jesus was no longer like a good idea. Following Jesus was no longer like, oh yeah, this is the guy who did this awesome miracle. They were beginning to experience to know this following Jesus thing is a real life challenge. It's a real life struggle. There's suffering involved. There's criticism involved. There are people that are against what he's doing. And so this is where we find ourselves in our text. We find ourselves with Jesus eating with sinners and then having a discussion with the Pharisees again, with his disciples. And that's where we're going to pick up. Heavenly Father, speak through your word this morning. Remove me and any distractions in my head right now. And let me focus on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number one, I want us to see this. The joy and freedom that comes with following Jesus. The joy and freedom. Today we're talking about realities of following Jesus. The joy and freedom that comes with following Jesus. Look at verse 18. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Now, Speaking here of fasting, but I don't believe within the context of Scripture here that this text is really about fasting per se. Jesus will teach a lot more about fasting in other passages and other uh, times of his ministry. This text is really Jesus explaining that fasting will only become really beneficial once he, the bridegroom, has been taken away. Fasting at its core is a lament for the presence of God to be demonstrated in a real way in someone's life. And the truth is, in this point in, the, in his disciples' life, he was there with them. He was not away from them. In fact, he was more present with them than he had ever been. And so the need for fasting was not there. I think it's coming directly off them seeing them eating with the sinners. They go, hey, we've been fasting. And now you guys are going to dinner. Once again, the Pharisees come to Jesus with questioning. But can I say this morning, the, 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 the Pharisees, uh, it would make sense this morning for them to see it that way. And they saw the joyous time Jesus was having with the sinners. And they wanted uh, Jesus and his disciples to partake in their lament and their fast instead of enjoying the joy and the freedom that Jesus was experiencing with his disciples. And can I say this? There is joy and freedom in following Jesus. The freedom to sit down at a table as we had a table up here last week and the, the, the freedom to sit down with a sinner. The freedom to sit down with a, a tax collector, a, a drunkard. To sit down with an, a, an addict. The freedom that we have in Christ to be seen with sinners. The command that I believe we see through the example of Jesus to be seen with sinners. And listen, there will be a time to fast, disciples, there will be a time to lament, disciples. There will be those times. But when we think of Jesus and his sacrifice, we want to draw closer to him in a real reflective, repentant way. That's when we should fast. However, in this situation, the joy and freedom had been found in Christ. Following him removed that bondage of tradition and removed that bondage of the law. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is spirit is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. 
And today they were getting criticized for not fasting. And the point I want us to remember is there's freedom and joy in following Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't have those seasons of life where we fast. And we'll speak on fasting in, this, in, our, in our study throughout the book of Mark. Doesn't mean we don't have those periods. But what it means in a general sense is that when we follow Jesus, he brings a joy and he brings a freedom. But secondly, I want us to key in on this this morning. The newness that comes. The newness that comes with following Jesus. Look at the illustration that is given in the next verse in verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Jesus goes on to further explain himself and the realities of following him. These rituals and traditions that the Jews had observed under the law, Jesus was having the answer to those. If he was not going to abide by those traditions, if he was not going to abide by those laws, then Jesus, you must give an answer for why you are not doing so. What were you bringing forth if you were ignoring some of those? And Jesus gives an illustration here, and he basically says this. You don't take what's old, a garment or a wineskin, as it says here, and simply patch it up with something new. No, you replace the old with the new. And this is a symbolic two verses here for a lot of the Christian life. But may I just say this this morning? The, if you're a covenant theologian in here this morning, the old covenant wasn't improved upon or made better. The old covenant was, was fulfilled and superseded and replaced by the new covenant. The law this morning was not improved upon by Jesus or made better. It was fulfilled or superseded and replaced by the glorious grace of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what this verse is teaching us is Jesus did not come to take you in your sin and just stretch you a little bit and just improve you in this area and just make you a little bit better in this area and you know oh there's a there's a hole let's let's patch up that area a little bit Jesus did not come to improve you no Jesus came to transform you Jesus came to take that old wineskin and throw it away and present you a new wineskin. Jesus came to take that old garment that had been battered and beaten and torn and ripped and to do away with that old garment and to give you a brand new garment. Now this morning, may I say this, Jesus didn't come to reform the law, but to fulfill and to replace it with the good news of the gospel. Listen, Jesus didn't come to just make the law better or easier. In fact, if we truly study Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus didn't come to make anything easier, per se. He came to dig into that heart. He came to dig into who we really are. He came to dig into our souls, not to reform the law, but to replace it with the good news of grace. 
May I say this this morning, Jesus did not come to reform or to improve you, but to completely replace who you were with who you can be in him. I don't have time to talk about the great exchange that took place this morning, but the great exchange that took place in summary is your sin and your rags and your filthiness was exchanged for the righteousness of God. Who you were and who you were in your sin and who you were born into in your sin was completely replaced. The old nature has been killed. The old nature has been mortified and you have been given a new nature in Christ. It's incredible. I'll say this from the pulpit because our connect group this past week, we spoke about this. If you would like to read a book that will help you to comprehend that, a book called Grace Walk. Grace Walk, a man by the name of Steve McVeigh. I don't endorse many books publicly from our pulpit. I will endorse In fact, I almost want to make you read it in order to become a member. I'm not going to do that. But I almost want to make you read it in order to become a member. But it's illustrated here in these two verses. Jesus doesn't take the old you and make you better. He takes the old you and creates a new you. He takes the old you and creates a new you. The benefits of being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, there's a newness. There's a newness that comes. You're not an old wineskin that just got improved a little bit. You're not an old piece of fabric that just got stretched a little bit and had a patch put on it. No, you're a new creation. There's newness there. There's a newness of life. And then I want us to see this, and Lord knows we're not even going to scratch the surface this morning as we close. The rest that comes with following Jesus. For sake of time this morning, I'm not even going to read every verse of the remaining text. Well, let's just say that as we've already noticed, the disciples challenging Jesus every time he tries to do something good. We have another one here. He went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees asked, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? What was Jesus doing? You know what he was doing? He was plucking the heads of grain on the Sabbath. And if you study, I mean, good luck. If you'd like to study all the law of the Old Testament, we've talked about the different types of laws in the past. If you'd like to study through all of those, you're going to find a, a law for everything. And so on the Sabbath, they once again questioned Jesus. Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus gives some explanation, but I want us to see verses 27 and 28, the final two verses of our text this morning. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Why is Jesus doing this on the Sabbath? Why is, he, why is he not abstaining from that on the Sabbath? Why is he seemingly living his life on the Sabbath? You remember in Mark chapter 1, it was him healing on the Sabbath. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? You're supposed to wait till the sun goes down before you can heal on the Sabbath. A study of the word. Obviously, we know the Sabbath traditionally is the Saturday in the Jewish tradition where the 
Jews would kind of remove themselves from their daily grind, from everything they were doing throughout the week, and they would observe religious practices on those days. But probably a more concise explanation of the word Sabbath is simply a a period or time of rest. It was even modeled in creation. Six days created, seventh day, day of rest. It was even modeled all the way from creator God in the very beginning. But in these last two verses that we just read, Jesus explains that this tradition falls underneath his lordship and it falls underneath his power. And we don't have time to unpack all this truth this morning, but as you make a study of Sabbath, especially in the New Testament, you will find out that Jesus was not only the Lord over the Sabbath, but Jesus should be our Sabbath. He is our rest. We rest in him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, he says, Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. Rest. Following Jesus brings us rest. You see, his disciples didn't have to take that Saturday, that Sabbath day, and, and, and not function as human beings. They could heal, and they could even pick grain here, as Jesus said, because it wasn't the day that was bringing them rest. It was Jesus that brought them rest and this morning may I ask you does following Jesus in your life look like joy and freedom newness of life rest or does following Jesus seem cumbersome to you this morning does following Jesus make you more like a disciple or does it make you more like a Pharisee? Are the burdens and the weights in your life, are they set free because of your dedication to following Jesus or does it seem like they're ratcheted down? You see, the the Pharisees here question Jesus as they would and as they will do as we continue to move on. Jesus, by the way, in the next chapter is going to heal somebody on the Sabbath again. Get ready. He's just like that. But the truth is I see all the time people who could live as a disciple choose to live as a Pharisee. And what I believe Jesus was doing in a really roundabout way here, he was teaching his disciples through his explanation, through his answers to the Pharisees, he was teaching his disciples that, hey, listen, if you will just stick with me, you're going to be free from all this mess. may not be easy, but if you'll just continue following me, you're going to find that joy and that freedom. You're not going to be bound. You're going to be able to sit down and eat with sinners and tax collectors. You're going to find that newness of life if you follow me. You will have rest. No, not on Saturday from Friday night from sundown to Saturday night until sundown. No, you're going to have rest in me. You're going to have rest in me, Jesus says. So my question to you today, what are the realities of you following Jesus? We obviously scooted through this I'm not sure if you can tell. I was bouncing back and forth through my notes this morning. It's okay. 
That's my, da- my dad's a pastor. He said, son, you don't, have to hit home run. you don't have to hit home run every Sunday. Just get on base. I said, all right, dad, I'll try to hit a single. He goes, nope, sometimes you're going to get hit by a pitch. It's all good. It's all good. But at the end of the day, does following Jesus bring those things to you? And may I just be ever so bold? If following Jesus doesn't have that as, your, as the underline, maybe you're not following him. You say, but Josh, there's the verse that says those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I agree with that. I, I'm not saying it's all you know, unicorns and roses. But there should be joy. There should be newness. There should be freedom. There should be rest. All the whole world could go to hell in a handbasket. But I can rest in Jesus. Listen, you can take all this world, you can take everything from me. But I'll find my rest. I'll find my rest. I ask you this morning, what does following Jesus look like for you? Is it a weight? Is it bondage? Is it the same old, same old? Is it anxiety? Or does following Jesus look like joy and freedom? Hey, if you love Jesus so much, tell your face about it, right? Does it look like newness? Does it look like rest? We're reminded of rest last night, aren't we? How many of you looked at your clock? It was like 1030 and you're like, it's 1130. I looked at my daughters, I'm like, go to bed. You woke up this morning, if you're like me, you're like, I really hope my phone did what it was supposed to do. Like, Steve Jobs, I know you're up there. Sorry. Sorry, don't judge me, man. Probably shouldn't have said that. Sorry, though. Did my phone make it? Am I an hour late this morning? Am I going to show up and the worship team's practicing and, like, everybody's looking at me? There's something about rest, right? Any parent in the room had a day recently where you didn't have to set an alarm, you didn't have an animal or a child to wake you up, and you could just be like, I'm going to sleep until I wake up. I can't remember the last time that happened to me. We, we, we got a dog this year, so that doesn't help. But just knowing I don't have an alarm to set. I'll, I'll wake up whenever I didn't want to. Listen, I firmly believe this. Spiritually speaking, if we're following Jesus, the day can be crazy. Our lives can be crazy. Sin can be knocking at our door. But you know what? Spiritually, I can lay down my head and I can rest in Jesus. He's paid it all. It's over. It's finished. It's completed. I can rest in him. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.